But being at GPS, you know, I've, I've learned that that part of me is my greatest strength. I get to show up at work 100% truly my authentic self. Welcome to A Conscious Way Forward, a podcast about healing, reimagining leadership, and reinventing education. If you're a seeker, changemaker, or dreamer, you're in the right place. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I'm on a mission to help individuals rise in consciousness and usher in a new paradigm of a more equitable and just global society. As an educator, founder and CEO, dadpreneur, coach, and ambassador for change, I share my conscious journey through real, raw, and relatable stories while engaging in conversations with a diverse group of guests. I discuss timeless wisdom teachings and how they've helped me navigate life, leadership, parenting, and heal my traumatic childhood wounds. If you're ready to come home to your soul's purpose, co-create a more equitable world, dream, act, and heal forward together, then please continue to listen. Hello, everyone. Today is a super special episode because I have my very first guest and my dear friend, Mrs. Andrea Johnson. She's currently the founding principal and executive director of Growth Public Schools, the K-8 school I founded in Sacramento, California. Andrea describes herself as a chill, humble Southern girl. She relocated from Atlanta, Georgia to Sacramento several years ago and has been working in schools ever since. She had thoughts of becoming a pediatrician, but she found her calling an education and has never looked back. Mrs. Johnson has been an educator for over 20 years and she served as an elementary school teacher and leader, a different leader in various roles. We call her the child whisperer at the school (laughs) as she knows how to reach any child and always leads with love. And I wanted to have Mrs. Johnson on as my first guest because she's the epitome of an intuitive and heart-centered warrior and leader. And my hope is that you see yourself in her. My guess is that many of her triumphs, her struggles, will reflect your own journey as an intuitive warrior. We need more people like you and Andrea Johnson to help transform our education system. And we're going to talk about her own journey as a mom and educator and how the education system needs to transform as our world changes rapidly. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andrea. She's a beautiful, intuitive, empathic, vulnerable leader and warrior, and I hope you enjoy this conversation so much. Welcome to A Conscious Way Forward. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I'm here today with the wonderful, lovely, amazing, beautiful, spectacular (laughs) Andrea Johnson. (laughs) No pressure on that introduction. And Andrea and I work together. Andrea is the founding principal and now the executive director of Growth Public Charter School, Growth Public Schools in Sacramento, California. And she is a very, very good friend. She is a soul sister. (laughs) She's a warrior. She's amazing. And we have worked together now for about three and a half years. And it's been an absolute delight. I've seen her grow into a spectacular leader and be a really true version of herself. And there is a reason why she is the first the first person I'm interviewing. (laughs) Because when I thought about who's listening to this podcast, I was like, oh, I know they're going to want to hear from Andrea Johnson. That's exactly the person they're going to want to hear from. So on that note, Mrs. Johnson, thank you so much for being here today. And I'd love just to hear a little bit about your journey with education, maybe a little bit about your background and kind of get to help people get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, David. No pressure or anything. It's like I only speak that set up. But <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Very honored that you would want to talk to me about, you know, have you have me be a part of your your podcast and your project. So thank you, first of all. Thank you. Um, so a little bit about me, my journey into education. So I am Audrea Johnson. I am the twin sister of Audra Catrice. Jennings. Um, We were born in Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised. Um, And and that's that's really the core of who I am. I'm just a a very chill, humble Southern girl. Like that's how you can sum me up. Um, But I got into education 
So, you know, in, in going to school, I've always, well, I've always worked with kids, whether it was, would be at church or like in children's church or babysitting, things like that. And I've always loved working with kids. Um, and so I kind of had the idea of becoming a teacher kind of in my mind. I, it just came to me. I just recalled this literally as we were sitting here. I was a part of the Future Teachers of America in high school, that club. Wow. I actually forgot about that. Um, <laughs> but when I went to college, you know, everybody wants to go to college and be a doctor. So that's what I was going to be a doctor. But I was like, oh, kids. So I'll be a pediatrician. So mm-hmm. went to school for that. And then, you know, took chemistry and was like, no, this is not for me. And so then, you know, through a many, many, many other majors, which I will, won't bore you with all the changes that I made <laughs> along in that freshman year of college, um, I was sitting with my mom one day and she was like, Audrea, a teacher, why don't you just be a teacher? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot I love teaching. So, and then the rest is history. So fin- went through school, um, back home in Georgia at my college, we were able to get your degree in education at that time. So my bachelor's degree is actually in early childhood education. And so I went straight out of um, undergrad into my first year of teaching and haven't done anything since. I've always worked in education. Um, So um, taught in in Georgia, well, it was just like a pivotal time in life because right around the time we graduated from college, um, a year later got married. So it was like graduate college, first year of teaching, um, first year, you know, then got married that second year out of, um, at the end of the first year of teaching. So it's just a lot of like life milestones happening in that little period of time. And so, um, so yeah, so then just taught, I was a kindergarten teacher, third grade, Um, And then I taught second grade for a year, the year before we actually made the transition and moved to California. Um, We moved here with my husband's family. They are pastors and they moved to, well, my husband's family is originally from Sacramento and they had moved to Georgia when my husband was about three to help his uncle start their church in Atlanta, which is the church that I grew up in which is how we met my husband and I and, and his whole family. And so years and years and years and years later, his parents were called back to Sacramento to start their own church. And so we came with them. And so that's how I got here. And when I started, when I got to um, Sacramento, definitely wanted to continue into, into, into the classrooms and teaching and everything. And so my first job out here was at a Christian school, Christian private school, teaching preschoolers. I had three-year-olds and I did that for two months. Glad it was over. <laughs> and then I got, um, I got on at uh, another charter school here in Sacramento, St. Hope, St. Hope Public Schools. I was, I taught first grade at PSM Elementary School for um, the entire time up until I transitioned over to GPS. Um, and and I, I did a couple of roles at, G, at PS7. I, I obviously taught first grade. I was also the principal for a couple of years. And then I had my second son. And so I transitioned into a, a lesser role of instructional coaches because, you know, new mommy principal, I just wasn't trying to juggle all that. And so went to be an instructional coach and then uh, back to teaching. And then and then GPS happened. And then that's where I that's, and that brings us to the present. So yes. did that answer your question? It's a very long. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, yeah. I know that you moved here with a really young child. How old was your son when you moved to Sacramento? Yeah, Daryl was two. Well, he wasn't two yet, actually. He was two weeks from his second birthday when, when he and I moved out here. And yeah. then my husband came two months later. So me and my little 20 month or 20, however much, 23 month old son, you know, hopped on a plane, flew out here. We were staying with my husband's aunt for a few months until he got here um, a couple months later. And then, you know, we got an apartment and everything. But yeah, it was, it was a lot uh, having to one, just like uproot your life. I've only ever lived in Georgia, only ever known, you know, Southern hospitality, the Bible Belt, all of that, you know, all the tornadoes, all of those things. <laughs> and to um, just kind of 
change and just uproot and move alone at first because I was my my son and I were the first two to make the move out here my husband and then his family came a few months later so that in itself was another podcast (laughs) we should talk about another another one (laughs) yeah yes and and so when you ended up at St. Hope you had been teaching for a handful of years in a traditional public school in Georgia is that correct Right, district schools. Mm-hmm. A district school, okay. And so when you landed at St. Hope, what was the reason that you chose that job? Was it because you were really connected to the mission or was it because you needed a job or a little bit of both or what was the story there? Yeah, um, well, one, I was really intrigued by the the mission of, you know, all kids go to college. Also, um, just that it was for Black children, by a black founder that was really intriguing to me because again coming from Georgia where everybody in, in my world was black and then coming to Sacramento and it was quite the opposite of that like very hard to find someone who looked like me especially in 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 the schools yeah. and so that was really um and I actually got connected to St. Hope through a family member so my husband's uncle's friend um was one of the founding like members of St. Hope period. And she's such a wonderful lady, like one of my mentors. And she um, she connected me with uh, Mr. Pagani, who's actually now our board chair. And, and then it was, it just like, it all was, it was definitely meant to be, I would say. Yes. And just for people that don't know St. Hope, can you give like a quick summary, like who was it founded by? Oh, right, right, right. So uh, St. Hope, the founder is, is Kevin Johnson. Uh, he was formerly the mayor of SAC. Um, now, I don't know the team. <laughs> he played for the Phoenix Suns. He's, he's okay. uh, one of the, a very great NBA basketball player. Thank you. <laughs> I knew it was basketball. I didn't know what team. Um, so, yeah, so he was the founder of, of St. Hope, and it started started with SAC, SAC High, so SAC Charter High School. Okay. And then it just, it grew into a district that included PS7 elementary school, PS7 middle, and then there was a preschool at one point as well. Okay. And if I remember correctly, he actually started a small after-school program in Oak Park. Yes. That's, where, that's how it started as a after-school program for boys. And then it just grew into um, the, the high school. Right. And it, I don't know if this is stated in the mission or but is, is their mission to actually serve African-American children? It doesn't state it specifically in the mission, but it, it is it is it is very much so for that. Okay. Yeah. okay. So when you got here for after being in Georgia, mm-hmm. you then entered into St. Hope. And how was it different from the teaching and learning and the experience you had in Georgia? Well, it was it was like I was starting all over because being out in, in Georgia, um, you know, I was very, very new in my career and didn't really understand a lot of things. And so I was just a new teacher and I was like, oh, I just want to be here and I just want to teach and things and not really recognizing some of the, you know, systemic, just general issues with public education, particularly like, um, well, I don't want to throw shade or whatever, but just like with districts. Um, I remember going to one of the like summer orientations and being like bombarded by like union reps and I didn't understand what they wanted from me. And, and then I was, you know, I didn't really know anybody. So I didn't know who, like, what is this all about? Like, what do they want me to do? Pay dues and what is it for? So, um, but I just knew that it was, it felt weird and I didn't understand it. And, and then when I got out here, there was never any talk of that. It was always, always, always just about the kids. And that's, and that really drew me in because I feel like that's what education and schools is should be about it should be about the kids first and foremost and not like what how teachers can be protected from like really doing the job of of, of serving kids right so. right and you're very intuitive and all heart 
just, I, we didn't say that at the beginning, but you are, you're all heart and you're very intuitive. And so when you say like, oh, I just, maybe I didn't understand all the details as a young teacher with the unions and what was going on, yeah. but you did literally know like, oh, I know I just want to work with the kids. Like I got yeah. an elementary education. And when I first met you in the interview, you're like, I love kids. And it was, <laughs> not, I could tell, I was like, this is not BS. Cause of course everyone's supposed to say that in an interview, especially mm -hmm. if you're trying to be the principal. I, love kids. You know, I was like, oh no, this, this woman is dead serious. Like she is all heart. She's all about the kids. Yeah. And so here you are at St. Hope and you feel like, okay, this, this place is all about the kids. And you were a first grade teacher, correct? Yes. For a long time, like 10, 11 right. years. Yeah. I started in mid year. So there was a teacher who, um, I think she, she left for, she was got hurt or ill or something. So she was on leave. And she was on leave, but then decided not to return. So there was that opening. And so, yeah, it just kind of fell into place. And there I was. Um, and your kids attended, your son attended, is that right? Right. When he, so when I started there, he was four, I think. Hmm. Yeah. And so he started a few years later um, in kindergarten there. And he went K through five at PSM Elementary School. Okay. And what was your experience like? In the, in the decade or so you were there? Um, it was amazing. Like it was, I finally felt like another, another kind of big thing for me in terms of why I chose education is because I just have always wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than me. I don't know why I'm emotional. Um, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I, you know, having friends and stuff who, make these choices of careers that you know they're just they go they choose based on like what the salary is going to be or what the perks are going to be or if it's a sexy thing or whatever um and I just never really was drawn to that which is probably why it didn't work out for me trying to get in to be a pediatrician because that just wasn't it was more so for the the beauty of it all yeah. so anyway I've always really just had this desire to just be a part of something that was bigger than me and that I could like really have an impact in yes. and I knew that you know working with kids like what better way <laughs> to make an impact um than like putting your stamp on a, a child in their in their progress of learning yes. so um I don't remember what your question was what did That's you like, say no you answered it it was really about like what was your experience like at St. Hope oh was, right yeah so it was it was awesome because I finally, I felt like I was home. Like I felt like I had found a family. I felt like because my family was back in Georgia and don't get me wrong, like I do have family here. Um, but it was, you know, again, with going back to that, like wanting to be a part of something that's bigger than me, that includes like where you work. Like I, I wanted to feel connected and like that I was important and that I was valued and that like, my my work was making a difference and it was appreciated and I definitely felt that at PS7. Um, I think largely <laughs> and this became sort of a, a challenge for me as I stayed in was um, yeah like like I said St. Holt PS7 was for black black children and so I was finally able to like be with my be with my own and 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 at the time when I started, I believe, aside from the, the lady who connected me, uh, Ms. Burks, I think I was one of the only Black staff members. And so when you have a Black teacher and then you have these Black families and kids, they all want the Black teacher. <laughs> so I can remember like standing outside my classroom and, and like seeing the kindergarten parents go down to the classroom to pick up their kids or, pick, or drop them off in the mornings. And they would just see me and then automatically want their kid to be in my class. And, and, you know, they didn't know anything about me. They didn't know if I was in, in there beating kids over the head with a stick or if I was like a horrible teacher or anything, but they just, they would see me and then know that like I would be able to like connect and understand. And it was, it was, it was really, really nice to have that, that feeling of connection. But then at the same time, it, it became a little bit of a little bit burdensome because then it's just like one, you know, people have these expectations of me and I have to be sure that I like live up to it. And if I make a mistake, then oh no, she's wrong. She's the she 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 didn't she didn't meet my high bar. And I had like 
quite a few um, like instances where I feel like I didn't, you know, meet the bar of what someone was expecting of me, probably just because I was a black woman right. and it didn't, you know, it kind of turned sour. Um, but, but, you know, through all that, I would feel, I, I would feel a little bit like, wow, I just, I really wish that, um, they would want to know me as like a person or as a teacher and not just, and like what, how, what, how I can, like what, what I'm doing for your kid, not just, oh, I want her, my kid to be in her class because she's black, like, right. um, but I mean, it, and it took me some time to like really, really understand like why that was. And it, di it didn't really kind of hit me until after I left PS7 and came into the different um, school setting where it wasn't common to see, um, you know, black teacher, black, anybody in, in the school. Um, yeah, it, I feel like that's, it was like multi-layered, so. Yeah, well, and I, so I know about 10 years ago, the statistic was that 93% of all teachers that graduate from teacher school are white. Yeah. percent, And I know that number is probably like 90 now. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but I'm sure it's gone down a little bit. So <laughs> what do you think, why do you think parents are, I mean, I have of course my own theories, but I want to ask you, why do you think parents really were like, oh, I want the black teacher being at a school that's like, was it like 99%? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they knew what I didn't know. And, and I say that, be, what, I'm, what I mean is, is they, they, they understood like what it meant to have someone like them, you know, in their child's life and supporting their education, meaning they understood like what the systemic things were, maybe from their own, you know, experience in schools, maybe from a other, another sibling or that same child in a different environment or even with a, a different teacher in the same environment. Um, whereas for me, I didn't really understand it because back home, everybody's black. You know, I went to, I, when I'm in, in the schools that I taught in, 95% of the, the teachers were black, you know, um, same with the kids. So it was just like, it was, it was a, a bit of a culture shock for me when I when I got here because of, because of the difference. And so me coming in with the mindset of not really having experience nor really understanding because I was very young in my career, like all of the crap that is the public school system and how it's designed and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I just didn't have that lens, but to, to like un really understand why that was so important for the families at, at PS7 when they saw me, um, so. So let's break that down since you, now you, you we're talking about the elephant in the room, which is yeah. make this no more an elephant, but literally what everyone's talking about every day, all day, mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely talking about here. What, um, just to break it down for anyone who's listening, what do you mean by, um, the public education system and the systemic. Oh gosh. Again, I'm just leading you into it. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. So I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I remember a couple years ago, you and I, we went to one of the um, retreats for the, for new schools. And I was in a workshop and it was, I can't remember the title, but I will never forget one of the slides that they showed. And I had never seen it before. Honestly, I'd never seen it before. But it was, in a nutshell, it was Thomas Jefferson's, like, quote, I guess, from 1770-something about what, how, how, how the education system was built. And basically, it was like, it's going to be a two-track system, one for the ones that, that are able and can do things, and then one for the, who, who, for the rubbish, basically, like, the haves and the have-nots. And so the, the the have side is going to, you know, be where quality education is and people really tuning in and accept all the things that you would expect from a quality school experience. And yeah. then the other side was going to be for anybody who didn't fit this side over here, the slaves, the whoever, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that just, it really struck me. It struck me for a lot of reasons. One, because it was just so like eye-opening. And here I was, you know, several years into my career 
and not ever really truly, truly having the understanding of how this system of education that I love so much was actually built. And it, it was, it was shocking and it was crushing and it, and it just really made the light bulb go off for me. And it made my passion even greater for changing that up and not accepting that, you know, I have two sons, I have two black sons and they're not rubbish. You know, they don't deserve to have a crappy um, school experience just because they're not of a certain echelon, you know? And it's just really sad that that's what our education system is built upon. It's sad that people don't know that, like me. And I, and I just wonder, like, if, I, if, if that was news to me, I wonder how many more people don't even realize that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of people that I speak with are like, oh, we really have to change the education system. We have to change it. And a lot of times they'll talk about, oh, we need to make it more, um, you know, progressive and kids need to have more choice and there needs to be more, <clears throat> there needs to be more empowerment for the teachers and all these things, which are great. But I think if you're not talking about the way the system was designed to actually, um, you know, hold certain people back and elevate other people. And then if you think about it, the whole entire system, if the system's built that way, yeah. that's the way the whole machine is working. Right. And so places like St. Hope are created to say like, oh, we're going to try and Mm -hmm. differently because the system, this big machine is actually trying to, and you can look at the data. So I know Margaret Fortune in the state of California has been doing a lot of work around, look at the data of African-American children, especially boys in the state of California. And you can see that there's a massive problem here. So mm -hmm. if you're not willing to admit systemic racism and you need some facts, <laughs> some basic facts, yeah. then you can just look at real basic facts and it's across income levels too. Like when you really break down the data, it's not, it's not necessarily, well, it's because, you know, they're low income or whatever, but it's, it's really a problem. And so what I love about you though, is that you say, oh, well, I'm not really sure if I understand it, but I know you're a woman of faith. I know you're, you take the cues from God and here you are going to St. Hope, yeah. not really understanding what you were doing, but you really maybe didn't know it, but you yeah. knew it. Mm. And, <laughs> and you knew that you were going to, you want to be some, something bigger. Now, did you get guidance from God to go to St. Hope or was that more just like, cause I know we have a story about how you end up at GPS and we'll get to that, but was there, was there some sort of guidance to go there or was. Well, I mean, I think there's no such thing as not having that guidance, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, um, totally like just the connection. I, I remember where I was, I was over to my, at my husband's cousin's house and we were talking we were just talking about me needing to I was you know trying to find a job and I was you know trying to get into a district where I live and I remember his cousin said oh what about PS7 and then she this this like this cousin of mine she knows everybody and so she was like let me call Patty and she just called her and then it just was a it, it just it just rolled from there you know so definitely, I mean, it was absolutely ordained. <laughs> and you know, one of the courses that I'm running right now is really about following those voices, the whisper, the, the words from God, whatever you want to call it, like following that and really not thinking about it. Yeah. And the reason I was like, oh, she's the perfect first guest for so many reasons is because <laughs> you just cross off, you check off all the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> because the way we met is obviously you applied for the job with GPS and yeah. just for the listeners that don't know, GPS was totally just given to me the name. So it was going to be growth. I don't know if I've ever told you this under but it was going to be growth charter school Academy. And then well, the word growth just, it was like, Oh, it has to be something about growth and learning mm -hmm. or whatever. It's not, you know, there's this going to be like a new version of education. And then the word, and then I wrote down just without thinking, I wrote growth charter Academy. I had to write a proposal for a funder and they wanted it like the next morning. And I was so busy in my day job that I was like, I don't know. And I just wrote it down, <clears throat> excuse me. And then my wife said to me, Oh, it has to be with something with growth. Like that's intuitions telling me. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, Oh, growth public schools. And then I didn't realize I had actually put together GPS until like a week later when one of my friends goes, Oh, that was clever. GPS growth public schools. And I was like, Oh yeah. And then when I really sat with it and, and kind of went in inward and was like, why did I name it that? And I was like, oh, because we believe that every single child has an inner GPS and there's a guidance system they're following. 
like I said, depending on your belief system, if it's, if it's like your, your belief system that it's God or whatever, there's an inner guidance system that is guiding you. And I just think it's so amazing that you ended up at St. Hope and you had this really cool experience. So St. Hope, you know, 10, 15 years ago was really like the cutting edge of charter schools and they're still doing amazing work. But when we met, we really talked about there's another, the next kind of level or whatever you want to call it, the next phase Mm -hmm. of reform is taking what they've done to really prove that every single child can learn at high levels, Mm -hmm. which it's really sad that I have to say somebody has to prove that. Yeah. But if you're thinking about our education system, which is all about the haves and the have-nots and assuming that people aren't going to be able to learn and there's problems with them and it's all about how, you know, they're not they're not smart enough or whatever. Yeah, you have to have some systems on the side like a St. Hope and other charter schools like Success Academy that are serving predominantly black and brown children and really saying, hey, this can, we can do this. We can do this when we stop worrying about adult issues and arguing about everything. We really focus on the kids and hold high expectations. But then we met and you told me, and you always laugh every time I tell you this, you're like, I don't know if you're a religious person, but you're supposed to give me this job. <laughs> always laugh every time you say that cracks you up right because you're like because you can't even believe that you would say that in an interview is that why it cracks you up uh, yes I exactly like really Drea <laughs> what I love about this as part of the story is clearly you were guided to go to this interview the yeah. way we met was very random and the funny full circle things my friend and I always talk not about random this. but go ahead not random sorry the full circle that yeah. was not random the full circle was that Harinder Pagani, who connected me to you, yes. is now the chairman of our board, which is so cool. But yeah. the full circle was, yeah, I had just met, I was literally trying to talk to everybody in Sacramento that I would that would talk to me that was in the education space. And he said, Oh, I said, Do you know anybody that might be interested in being a principal? And he's like, Oh, I know two people. And he gave me your name and one other person's name. <laughs> and then here I am meeting with you at a coffee shop. And this nice girl from the South who has been taught that she's not supposed to, you know, say certain things to certain people. Yeah. Just went for it. Yeah. And why'd you go for it in that moment? Do you remember? I just felt like it was right. I did. Um, Yeah, I just felt like it was right. And And honestly, like I've had, I've had encounters with like white men Mm -hmm. where I felt extremely like, no, I can't talk to this guy. Like, you know, like, oh, he's he's scary. You know, right. I never, I never got that from you, like, ever. And that it just, it just felt right, you know. Yeah, like you felt like you could just be honest in that moment. And I think this is literally what I'm trying to teach everybody through this podcast: is to whenever you get the intuitive tug or the call from God, is to don't don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Just do it. okay. So you're at St. Hope and you're really connected to the mission. Mm-hmm. You're one of the few black teachers in a largely um, black student population. Mm-hmm. You know that you're part of something bigger and then you are a principal for a little bit then you have your second child. And now here you are, you go through a principal training program yeah. an administrative credential program that Mr. Pergani is leading. So there's always, he's always involved somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and then you end up, on the phone with me. So what was the reason for wanting to try something different? And, yeah. yeah. So, um, yes, have been at PS7 for, for a while, have been teaching for a long time, you know, counting PS7 plus my years back home in Georgia. I taught for like five years there. And so I had gotten to that point where it was, t- it was just time for something new. Like teaching had just, it was just too easy. Like I could just, I only had to think about it, you know, and I wanted a challenge. And so that spurred me to, you know, launch into the administrative services credential for potentially like getting out of the classroom and more in a leadership role, but like much more prepared. So that was one thing that was happening. And then, you know, just while I was definitely absolutely invested and bought into the mission of St. Hope and PS7, I, I just started to notice that something was changing and I couldn't really actually put my finger on it. But so my older son, he, he attended St. PS7 through fifth grade. And I just noticed right around like third grade, 
fourth-ish, he just really kind of turned off from liking school. He It was boring and we just get in trouble all the time. We're always getting fussed at. We can't do this. We can't do that. All we have to, all we get to do is math and reading. And he was really like, like it starting to develop this creative side where he liked to draw and things, but it wasn't fostered there really. It was more so mainly about the scores, the scores, the scores, the test, the test, the test. You know, and that 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 has been that has been working because, like again, like Saint Hope has done amazing things for improving the outcomes for kids in you know marginalized communities. So, but as a mom, you know, it started to like really hurt me and stings. Like my kid doesn't like school, and this is coming from somebody who loves school. Like the like beginning of the year back school, you know, the teacher, the the back to school supplies section. Like I'm all there. Like I just love school, and to and I want that for my kids too. And to see him just kind of fade and not want to be there was like, okay, what's what is happening? So I really started to just like look broadly at what's happening here, and as I started to do that. I just noticed everywhere, even with my own students, my own first graders, that there was just a piece that was missing for them. And it was like that heart piece, like, do they feel loved and cared for? Like, how, how are they emotionally? Like, how is it, how, like, what, how are we developing that their social emotional part of them? You know, it's, it's more to it. Yes, the reading, the scores, the math, all that is super important, especially some might argue for communities that of like where, uh, you know, the kids at PS7. Yeah. But, you know, the world is changing. And yes, those skills are important, but there's other ones too that, you know, I, did, I, did, I just didn't feel like they were getting all that they needed. I would try little things in my own classroom. Yeah. And, you know, I, I but it, it just wasn't enough. So, so that was two. And then three, I just really started to kind of really pay attention to how the dynamic of the organization was changing. Yeah. And that, yeah, it just, if, if it, and I don't want to, like, I'm trying, I don't want to say too much, but I don't, I just didn't agree with some of the yeah. decisions and things like that. So. Yeah. Well, and what's so, so once again, I want to remind you and everyone who's listening that you do understand because what you do is you, you feel into mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so when you first got to St. Hope PS7, you were like, oh, I'm feeling this because it was, you know, whatever the year was and what was going on in the world. And you're like, because if you think about it from a real simple sy- systemic perspective, we're, we live in a racist society that is a white supremacist, white dominant culture, whatever language you want to say. And so if you're trying to create a charter school for predominantly black children, if you don't have really good scores, all the white people sitting in places of power are going to write you off. Yes. So from a systemic point of view, you're like, I got to show these people that the way we're doing this actually works. So you have to double quadruple hundred percent down on this test scores. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is as, and, and then at the same time, you know, that you want to really raise expectations for children. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is like the wave of charter schools in the 2000s and the 2010s. So it's, it's amazing work. It's beautiful work. But at some point, the, the universe, the world, whatever is evolving. And yeah. now Andrea being the intuitive, beautiful woman she is, is like, wait, my own child is like dying on the vine here. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that we can do better for these children. And I know that St. Hope has a great mission and they're doing amazing things because without a St. Hope in the community, the kids go back to a school that has low expectations yeah. and it doesn't okay. even, they, they, they don't help them learn how to read or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so then you started to intuitively be like, Oh wait, I know, I know there's something, I know there's a different way. And, um, and then we, and then we find each other. <laughs> and so let's talk about GPS now and let's talk about how, um, what we're trying to do and how we're merging our experiences and our vision and everything coming together and where we are and like what's the point of GPS and what do we do and how's it different from St. Hope and how's it different from the traditional public school around the corner? Where do you want to start? <laughs> I, said, I think that yeah 
Or what, yeah. just like what brought you to GPS? Like, what was it about? So if you're at St. Hope and you can see yeah. it's literature. It was the, so it was just the focus on the heart, I think. And that, that social emotional component that, that that is what I was feeling was missing from my experience and my time and my work at St. Hope. Whereas it was more so about, can the kids like execute this, get this score as opposed to how are you doing? Like, how can I support you? Like, what are you feeling right now? You know? And I just, I felt like, I feel like it can't be all or one or all of one or the other. You know, there definitely has to be a fine, fine balance of the two focuses. But I just felt as though, you know, St. Hope was not paying attention to this over here at all. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. So, so what's, what drew me to GPS was, was just that. Um, and, and some of the messaging and things on the, on the website and the job posting materials, it was all about like, you know, some of it was a little silly with kids. I remember you telling me that. Like that, but um, just that focus on that 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 those three letters S E L. You know, that social emotional learning, and what 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 was really striking to me from that at that time was because I have I now had my second son, <laughs> little Donnie, who is fitting in nobody's box. Okay. And I just know that like the school experience that my older son had would not work for Donovan. Like it would not, this kid feels everything and he wants to express it all the time. And he's a beautiful old soul, old soul. He is. I knew that he needed to be in an environment where that was going to be nurtured and fostered Mm -hmm. for him. And so, yeah, I just was like, this is that was another like spur for me to like move on and and be at a different type of school because I knew that I wanted him to be at school with me like I've been truly blessed to be able to have had both of my kids at the same school with me and I can be a part of their learning process um so I I knew that something needed to, to change and like Donnie was a big like factor in that um it's just yeah because just last night, for example, and this is what I, and I said to my husband, like, that's that GPS education right there. He comes downstairs. He is seven. No, he's six. He comes downstairs and very clearly says, mom, I'm bored and I'm hungry. Like, and I was like, okay, well, way to express your feelings, honey. Like you just said that's super clear. And honestly, there are, I know grown people who cannot so accurately express how they feel and now yes donovan has that innately like but he's also at a school where it's being celebrated and he's not like shunned and he is not like shut down where it goes away and then he you know would end up not liking school because he can't be be his full true authentic self now don't get me wrong because it definitely is a challenge sometimes because he just wants to all the time talk about how he feels and sometimes he's got to get to the work. <laughs> but I, it's so, it like, it's, a, it's at a place where at least it's there because that's so hard to get people to. Like it, and that's why it, it's just really important that, and it's just really exciting that we have a whole school of kids who are learning that and getting that, that, um, that practice and that nurturing and it's, and it's accepted and okay and you know they're just i just feel like what positive adults they're going to be and they get out into the world and they have these softer skills that you know gps really attunes to so yes and it's so interesting as you're telling the story i'm kind of seeing like the bigger picture of education and where things need to go and it's like as you're talking about saint hope it's like um with the times there needs to be an evolution yeah. You have to evolve with the unfolding and the progression of what's happening. And so that wasn't really happening. So you being the beautiful soul that you are is like, oh, I need to, I need to evolve. And then your children too, you're like, okay, now my second child is very different. He's like a free spirit and he's an old soul and this boy is amazing. I love him to death. And so you're like, okay, I need to try this different school. And, but at the same time, what I think is really interesting is that there were parts of the story that you were like, mm, 
I don't know, there's like this rainbow and butterfly element that I'm kind of like, are these kids going to actually learn anything? And then a little bit of, hey, well, it's just a white guy talking about diversity. And I don't know if you've ever said that one, but whatever might be going through your mind, but you're like, uh, well, I'm not sure. But again, you're following mm-hmm. the truth. You're following it. And you're like, mm-hmm. and I love that you say like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really one to try new things or take risks. And I'm like, may I remind you <laughs> that you quit your long-term job with benefit security, yeah. like you know, this revered teacher in your school to go to this brand new school with no, we had maybe had a building when I hired you. Okay, we had, we, we had a building and we had a few students and we had some funding, but really like the whole thing could have been not made it past a year. Yeah. And you just jumped off into the deep end. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> I actually have not put that together like that <laughs> since before you just said it. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And then the other piece that's really interesting about the story is that if you think about the system that we're operating in, is that so St. Hope creates something to prove that we can do this differently, especially for the most marginalized communities. But, but at the same time, they're, they're working within the same construct of the system, right. mm-hmm. which is about test scores and it's about factory mm-hmm. model and all that. Mm-hmm. So what you know, as the intuitive genius you are, is that, wait, there has to be a way that we can teach kids to, to be really good in academics and do well in academics. And we can, but we got to start with the heart. Yeah. It's got to be heart centered. And these, this generation, you look at the millennials, they're already <clears throat> at another level than where our generation was. Well, I know you're a little bit younger. I like to say you're my, about my age, but, <laughs> <laughs> but where the millennials are already taking this to another level. And so our children, my daughter's seven, Donnie's what, six? Six. Your son's a teenager. Like they're, they're not going to have any of this factory model stuff. Like yeah. they're going to, they're, 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 they're not in the mood for this. So um, the purpose of GPS is really to be about all about the heart while also figuring out how do we really empower teachers, empower kids, empower families. And again, similar St. Hope show that there's a different way to do this, but actually doing it in the least factory model version that we can come up with. Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the things that you love about GPS at this moment. It's in where we are in our fourth year, kindergarten, transitional kindergarten, which in California, that means that you were born like September to, to December. Yeah, so two months, three, not really three months too early for kindergarten. So yeah. yeah. So you do like two years of kindergarten, but basically we're kindergarten. Cause when I say that to people out of California, they think that we have a preschool. So yeah. kindergarten through eighth grade, ultimately, but currently we are kindergarten through fourth grade distance learning, but, mm. and yeah, so what are things you, you're loving about GPS and things that you think that is really working with the mission and the vision that we set out? Well, one, I would start with definitely that heart-centered focus, um, heart-centered and student-centered, and it's not all about, like, what the adults need, but it's really about what, what, how can we adjust to serve the kids best, and so I really, I really appreciate that part, and, and, also, like the second thing would be just the, the diversity. Um, so going back to my two sons, so Daryl, my oldest, you know, being at PS7, he was around all, he grew up K through five with all students who look like him, all black. Um, and that's, that's fine, it's fine. You know, um, same, similarly with me, like back home in Georgia, like everybody's black. Um, I wanted something a little different for Donnie because we do live in Sacramento and you know like our for example like our our neighborhood is not all black and so there's people of all different kinds and so for both of them I want them to you know have friends and have relationships with people of all different all different types of people and so you know Donnie gets to have that he gets to be in a school where you know, his little best friend is a white, is a little white kid, you know? So, um, and I, same with my oldest now, cause we're in a more, he's in a more diverse school as well. But yeah, I think that was, that was just really important to me. Um, just going back to my own schooling and upbringing where everybody was, you know, the same. And there, I just think there's so much beauty and power in what you can learn from being around other others, people who are not like you, because like I said, you know, my experience really left me with a narrow kind of view of the world, not, I wouldn't say the world, well, maybe the world, it left me, cause I, I wasn't not able to see like these different perspectives. Like for example, the thing about the Thomas Jefferson, like 
if you were in a black school and black media, you don't talk about that because you own the, you know, so it, it, it just really, I feel like I could have been probably more aware um, than I have been, you know, going through my, my school in the early parts of my career. Um, so, so yeah, mainly those two things. And then with the diversity, we, we have a, an amazing team. And, you know, so going back to my experience at PS7, where, you know, we have kids who are black and brown, and most of the teachers are white with blonde hair. And, you know, it, it just got to a point where it's just like, hmm, what is this? What are they, what are they, what, how, what are they learning? Like, how, how are they seeing what they can do, you know? Um, and so at GPS, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we have a super diverse team where we basically match the kids. Um, we're about 50-50 at this point, white and people of color. And so for the kids to be able to like have a teacher or have a, a another adult in the building with a different like life's experience from them, like how much more are they going to learn, you know? Um, so it, there's many other things. I also love the, the newness of it and the flexibility that we have to try new things and doesn't work, try something else. Like just that innovative nature. Um, lots of schools, as we know, particularly public ones are very rigid and structured and like what they're allowed to do and try and all that sort of stuff. Um, but we just, we have that flexibility to really like use our smarts about what we know to be best for kids and and implement in that way so and the intent of the charter law in the state of california was to be an incubator for innovation and really allow the public charter schools that receive public funds to show how you can do things differently and so we have project-based learning we have a kind of our style of like personalized montessori learning we have a real commitment to SEL and it's not social emotional learning and it's not like oh let's get a boxed curriculum and put it you know 10 minutes a day it's like it's the heart of everything we do and what was the what's the the kind of sentence for our mantra this year about relationships and learning oh yes learning happens through our relationships with others yes that's borrowed from our friends at Valor <laughs> who um where we have we're, we're implementing their uh, SEO model, the, the compass and, and circle. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be like my other favorite thing about GPS. Um, let's talk about me for a second. So like gr growing up, I've always been like a, just a, what I have been called sensitive, you know, person all my life. Like Andrea cries a drop of a dime. And I've grown to, I had grown to view that as a weakness of mine. Like I need to like learn how to suck it up and not have thicker skin and not cry so much and not let things affect me so much. But being at GPS, you know, I've, I've learned that that part of me is my greatest strength. And I have never been in a place where I've been actually celebrated for my vulnerability and my feelingness. <laughs> I mean, I, and I like being honest, like even in like my family, it's not, it's not seen as something that is something to be proud of, you know, but my, with my work at GPS, I just feel like I, I get to show up at work 100% truly my authentic self. And I don't get, I don't get to do that everywhere, you know? And so, and, you know, and just, especially, you know, just being a black woman, period, um, and just that whole notion of having to work twice as hard just to get half as far as your like white counterparts and all that kind of thing. And not mo most people of color when surveyed, they will not answer positively that they can be their 100% authentic, like show up their whole self at work. But GPS allows me to do that. And as a result, being the leader, I feel like I'm creating an environment where everybody can do that. Like we have our weekly circles with our staff and just the level of like uncovering that people are showing and just sharing about their lives and things that are important to them and their values and like 
where in the world can you go to work and do that? And it's celebrated and you're supported. And it's just a part, it's just a part of what you do. Um, I've never seen anything like it, but I, it's, it's just, yeah, it's the best thing, best thing ever. Like, I don't feel like I have to pretend or hide or anything. Like if I feel like crying, I just cry and everybody knows and they just pat me on the back and keep on going, you know? Um, so yeah, it's great. I, I, we cannot pass this one up quickly. <laughs> first of all, that is literally my dream come true. You touched my heart. <laughs> you literally like dropped my, made me drop my heart because <laughs> I knew intuitively that I had to hire a person of color to be the leader. And just to be really clear, I no longer lead the school. So Mrs. Johnson is now the executive director. So um, she is the, what we like to call the HBIC for <laughs> the title. <laughs> but really in all seriousness, like we have been, I think I've said this before and I know that we will probably do some study or write some case study or something about DEI with the white founder and the black woman. Cause you are, we're not officially the co-founder but you basically become the co-founder now the executive director. and what we can do to, what organizations can do to make people of color feel comfortable in their skin, in the moment, in their, you know, in, in the building. That is literally the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And, and the fact that you can then take that to the teachers. And I always say to you, like, if I try and hire diverse staff, there's going to be, when I'm in the interview, they're going to be looking at me a little sideways because they're like, well, I'm not sure if I can trust you given the world we live in. And you seem very trustworthy, but, and they might not have the faith that you have just to jump in and trust the guy. <laughs> and so they're, they're a little nervous, but once you're able to lead the interviewing and lead the process, people start to feel more comfortable. So I just, I really want to make sure that people hear that that is the whole entire goal of the organization is that everybody feels like they can be authentic to themselves and that they can follow their inner GPS. And to have you say that as a leader and then think about how the kids are responding to that. Cause that means that the teachers in the building feel like they can be the most authentic person. And how many times have I told you when you cry in a meeting and you're like, I can't believe I cry. And I'm like, no, listen to me. Brene Brown has written, I don't know, four books now, thousands of pages, thousands of notes on, on research on this, on like the, the thing that makes the number one best leader in the world is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And why I wanted to interview first is because not only are you an educator, but you're the model for leadership. And we will continue the conversation and talk about your leadership journey. But just to, to remind everybody, yes, this is, we think we're supposed to be all strong and fake it till you make it and all this stuff. But in this world we're in now and the air we're breathing and where we are today, that's not where we're going. And that's not what our kids need. And you are the embodiment. You are the epitome of a heart-centered leader. Thank you, David. <laughs> Let's speak the truth. I don't BS anymore. I just tell the truth. Yeah. That's all I know how to do. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to just hear, as we wrap up this part, we, we decided that we would talk about GPS and kind of your journey with education and what we think education needs to be. And then we're going to have a second part where we actually talk about your leadership journey and kind of gleaning some of those things that we've kind of hinted at during this conversation. But what are, where do you think GPS can go and how do you think GPS can be like a beacon of hope for the future of public education? Small question. <laughs> oh, <heavy> question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Even in the next few years and then we'll, we'll extract out from there. Like where do you, where do you think GPS can go in the next few years with this heart centered? Oh, and by the way, in your answer to the previous answer, you didn't say one of the things you love about the school is the fact that it's like the most rigorous reading and writing environment in the country yeah because that's because that's, <laughs> that's like a given like it's going to be yeah. part of it but mm -hmm. yeah I mean just or, or is that question too there's too much in it <laughs> um okay say it again okay so really the question is GPS wants to be a model of mm -hmm. what school can look like because we have the traditional system which was built to have all these different layers of have and have nots to separate kids out to kind of meet in the middle, mediocre. You have these wonderful teachers in the, in the traditional system that just figure it out and they, they're, they're kind of working against the current and they're doing amazing things. Then you have private schools and charters, public charter schools that are trying different ways and different things. 
And so here GPS is in this kind of this microcosm of this big macro um, mm -hmm. cosm of what we're trying to do to, to create the ripple effect of change. And so I'm just curious, like, what do you see as um, how GPS is kind of an example of that and where they can go in the next few years to show people that this is really possible? Well, I think it starts with just like, you know, I feel like we're a little bit of a good, a well-kept secret. Yes. And that's comfortable for me because once you kind of get out there, then people have expectations of you and, yes. and you have to meet them and all that kind of stuff. Yes, um, yes. But I don't know. I just, I think that I would love for, if, if people could take something from, from GPS, like schools, I would say, I mean, I think it would, it would be just like that, that level of, hum the, the thing that's come to me is, is humility in yes. that, you know, it's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to not have all the, the scores and the, and the perfection that the powers that be dictate that schools need to be. Like, you know, I, I would love for GPS to be the, the beginning of people really seeing what schools can be and well, what they should be. And that, you know, kids are thriving anyway in, in, a, in an environment where they're not being beat over the head with their reading and math book you know that was that was a harsh way to say that but you know that but that that are that there are and I dare to say more important things that kids should be you know focusing on when they're in schools because at the end of the day I cannot <laughs> my son is in high school right yeah and I remember doing some of the things that he is learning now when I was in school, but I can't recall it all. I can't even help him sometimes. So like how good, like now, but, but, but you will, you will find schools. That's what they focus on learning the skills, doing the things, doing the math. Whereas, you know, if he's having a conflict with a peer or if he needs to figure out how to talk to one of his teachers to, you know, explain something, then does he have those skills? Like, you know, mom can, I can help you with that. And so, you know, in schools, I just feel like it's important because in, in the world that we're living in, there's more to it than just, can you solve this algebraic equation quickly yes. and show all your steps? You know, I, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like there's so much more and, and, Please, world, don't hear me saying that that's not important, no. but it's not the end all be all. I feel like there's a there's a step before that and building that that safety within a person's own your own self, like safety within yourself and then like safety within your like community and to that that builds up that those that that power that you have to, you know. Face conflict or you know have hard conversations or express how you feel you know um so it all it all works together so I just would like you know I think GPS is a model for that we do not have it down pat like I couldn't write a book on it or anything but you know we're still growing in it but I definitely think schools could other schools and leaders could like take heed to some of the things that we're doing with well, regards to that Right, and what you said exactly right there, which is we're not here to be perfect and box it up and say, oh, this is the model that everybody should use and this is how you should do it. It's more about just showing people that if you can really, really just focus on the heart, mm -hmm. I mean, these are children. These are young children. Like, they can show us how to do this. They show us every day how to focus on the heart. And if we can just focus on the heart and really get out of their way within a program that's obviously got the right structures and everything in place. And it's, it's not just willy nilly, but if you, if we can create a system where the kids are at the center and the adults are treated respectfully, then when people come in and say, Oh, well, what curriculum are you using? And who is your, this, and what do you do for that? And then you just look at them and you're like, I'm sorry, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell me which kid you love the most in your school building right now. Mm -hmm. right? 
and tell me why you love them and how you've served them today. Mm-hmm. And if we just lean on that and then, and then you find these amazing people, like educators are empaths, they're heart-centered, they wanna serve children, they wanna help children, they wanna love on children. And they're just like, yeah, sure, how can we do this? What can we do? And then the other piece is I think um, with this new organization I'm building called Heart of the Matter, what we're hoping to do is highlight schools that are doing really cool things. So we're not saying growth public schools is like the way to do it. Cause I think there's a very egoic kind of arrogant, oh, well, our school is the way and everyone needs to No, We're saying that there's all these ways to do heart-centered schools, heart-centered learning could be an after-school program. It doesn't even have to be a traditional school. And what I want to do with the heart of the matter is really show people here's the schools we can highlight. Here's the things they're doing. And actually what they're not doing is they're, they're being, they're just being art. They're being art all the time. And we overcomplicate it. So yeah. On that note, no. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. Is there any, any kind of, are there any final things you want to share before we close up here? Um, no, just on that, that the notion of just being that intuitive leader, just like being led by your intuition. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's so much to that. And it's, I'm saying there's so much power to that. Um, I even find myself like in con- when I'm having conversations with people on my team and they'll ask me a question about like, what, like, what should I do? And I find myself saying, what does your gut tell you? Yeah. And I didn't even totally. like really kind of recognize that that's what was, that's, that's what I'm doing. But yeah, there's not always a ABC one, two, three kind of black or white answer to, to life's many, many questions, you know? Um, it's like, what did you get to tell you? What's your intuition? And so I should have worn my shirt that says, follow your intuition. Just so you hear it here, I will be writing a book on that. It's going to be titled The Intuitive Leader Within. And I'm sure you'll be featured in it somehow, some way, because you are- I'll write a chapter for you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Because <laughs> you're a great model of really following the leader. And I don't know how many, I mean, 5,000 times in the last few years where you said like, I know I'm supposed to do it this way, but something's telling me mm-hmm. and you're, you're following it. And that's the, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're setting up, you know how they set up the sequel, like in the, yeah. in the movie? This is the dramatic scene <laughs> where the person is hanging on the cliff and then we end. <laughs> the cliffhanger is that Andrea and I, Mrs. Johnson and I, we're going to continue this conversation around intuitive leadership and how she embodies this and her journey being a black woman in a white dominant culture and how we've gotten through all of this and what it's been like and what she's learned and what she wants to share with you. That's going to be, that's, she's hanging on the cliff right now. So hopefully you're with us <laughs> and we're going to do it back to back. So next week we will do the part two interview with the wonderful, tremendously amazing <laughs> Andrea King. That's right. Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking some time with us and we will be talking soon. All right. Thank you, David. That was fun. I'm so grateful that you got to meet one of my favorite people, and we really just skimmed the surface. I wanted to highlight how Adria followed her intuitive tugs, which led her to what she was looking for, a heart-centered school in growth public schools. And I want to emphasize that it's possible to create different versions of education that could include empowered students and teachers, and most importantly, heart-centered learning. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Adria will be back on next week's episode to share her work as an intuitive leader. Be love, be free, be you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>